Hi, welcome to BCI Cattle Chat. I'm Brad White, joined today by Dr. Bob Larson, Dr. Dustin Pendle, Dr. Philip Lancaster, and Dr. Brian Lubers. Morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning, morning. Good morning Brad. Well, we're happy to have you with us and happy to have you listening with us as well. We're hoping today that we can discuss some topics that'll be relevant to you and your operation. We're gonna talk some about, Dustin talked a, a little bit in the past about some of the economics and profit. We're gonna talk about feed costs. We're also gonna talk about some supply chain and we're gonna answer a listener question relative to fetal programming. And then we're gonna to touch a little bit on crossbreeding. Before we get into those topics, I wanted to ask you guys if I am the only person that this happens to, but it turns out that if it is really cold in the evening and you leave your hose plugged into the freeze-proof hydrant, that negates the freeze-proof part of the freeze-proof hydrant. It is then frozen solid in the morning. Am I the only person that it surprises and you guys remember to unplug your hoses before it freezes? Yes, I unplugged my hose. Yep, I, I unplugged it's mine. A, it's that time of year. It's <laughs> just me. It's just yep. me. Yep. Well, that's, I appreciate the support then, fellas. <laughs> yeah, that happens. It's that time of year and and all things considered, if it on those days where it warms up, it's not near as big a deal as the days that it stays cold. So remember, unplug your hoses from the hydrants. But it appears I'm the only one in this group that struggles with that challenge. Possible but, we've made that just that mistake in the past and learned from said mistake. Oh, I learned nothing. I'm still surprised <laughs> <laughs> every time. So one of the things, speaking of challenges that are coming up and, and we've heard a lot about supply chain shortages right and you, you'll hear it on people getting parts for vehicles or equipment or other supplies it's also impacting some of the areas on the pharmaceutical side and i know brian you've had some visibility discussion about how that how that's impacting kind of the animal health industry yeah and it's not, I, I don't, I don't think this is just a recent development, Brad. I mean, we've, we've experienced um, some, it's limited, limited availability of, of certain drugs, um, probably for uh, the last decade, I would say. Uh, some of those are specific to a manufacturer where they're, they, something didn't pass quality control. And so they had to to redo a lot or, um, but, you know, now I think it's become a little more widespread with uh, some of the shipping challenges and things that we've seen. So, so yeah, there are some reports starting to come out of, of people experiencing shortages, limited availability of, of certain pharmaceutical products. Um, and the two, uh, the two that I've seen recently, penicillin is a big one. So people are, are having trouble sourcing penicillin currently. So how do, how do we combat that? Because there's not a lot I can do about that. And what, what do I do differently to try to mitigate that challenge? Yeah, and absolutely right. There's nothing, as a producer, there's nothing you can do about a shortage. Um, I guess two, piece of, two pieces of advice would be, uh, one is, so we know we, know we kind of live in these times now. And so I think, you know, having, reasonable amounts of drug on farm um, so that when those disease events occur, um, make sure you have treatment protocols with your veterinarian um, so that, you know, everybody's in the loop as far as what's going on. But, you know, but having, having a limited supply on farm probably isn't a bad idea right now. And the other one is, is in many cases, there are reasonable substitutions that you can make. And, and it's not, every antibiotic works the same and every antibiotic works for every single disease. And so again, having that interaction with your veterinarian where, um, you know, if you're used to using, 
penicillin to treat a specific disease condition. Um, it might be that something else would be a reasonable substitute as an antibiotic and, and you would still expect it to work um, as well as penicillin. So uh, there are there are some substitutions that that are reasonable. Again, I think having that conversation with, with a veterinarian to say, you know, what is and what isn't reasonable um, and maybe even having a, a cup, a plan B and a plan C. So um, our treatment number one would typically be this. And if that's not available, we could move to a different treatment. Um, and if that's not available, we could move to even something else. Um, obviously, if we get into diseases where we, we have to treat multiple times, um, then we might run into some issues. But it, it certainly helps kind of bridge that gap in those situations. Absolutely. And I think one of the things you're saying is plan a little bit in advance. So as, as we know, some of these things might be coming up, make sure that I've got my protocol and I've got kind of a backup plan if needed. Hopefully that won't affect you as you go through the fall. But I do think many of us have gotten into a point where, again, speaking for myself, as you think about planning, processing, or other events, that I, I just expect that I can get that in relatively short order. We, we may or may not have that in the short term. Hopefully that'll all even out. The, the other topic that I wanted to follow up on today, and Dustin, we talked about profitability last week between low, medium, high profit cow-calf herds. This was some good research that you were a part of. And one of the things of interest in that area, you, you said feed was one of our biggest costs. So I wanted to learn a little bit more about what you learned specifically on the feed cost side. And you typically break that into both feed costs associated with pasture and non-pasture feed costs. So tell us what you learned in that. Yep. So last week we did talk about, well, we talked about record keeping and data. Uh, Kansas Farm Management does keep very detailed records, farm level production, finance, financial variables for the farms. We did a uh, analysis looking at kind of your high profit, low profit operations. From there, what we what we noticed, what or what we learned was, you know, almost seventy percent of your total variable cost can be related to feed, feed and pasture. Now, if you look at total cost of the operation uh, of the cow calf operation you're looking at almost 50% uh, can be related to your non-pasture feed and your pasture expenses. And so what we wanted to do, because it was such a large percentage of your total expense, we wanted to see if we could dive just a little deeper into that area. Because the other thing we noticed was when you look at your top profit operations or producers versus the low profit, there was a trade-off. In other words, your non-pasture feed expenses for your uh, operation, for your high profit operations, they're running about $260 per cow compared to your low profit of about $400, a little over $400 per cow. But then when you look at the pasture expenses, it's actually opposite. Your low profit operations have a lower uh, per cow pasture expense compared to your high profit operations of about 10%, you know, $182 versus $167. And so that kind of stood out to us is like, well, maybe some, maybe they're making some kind of trade-off between feed and pasture, or in other words, maybe these operations are spending a little more for pasture. They're running their cows a little longer on pasture and in exchange that allows them to maybe reduce their non-pasture feed expenses. And so we dug a little deeper. There is an article, uh, a short paper uh, fact sheet that we posted on agmanager.info. Uh, you can find it also in our show notes, uh, talking just about this, this non-pasture pasture costs. 
And so there is, there's a lot more detail uh, in, in the document, but just the, the quick summary uh, of it is, like I said, they're making these trade-offs between non-pasture feed costs, your pasture costs, and uh, you know the average. So I'll describe one of the figures, figure four in this document. You're looking at uh, total costs, about $520 per cow on average. Uh, however, if you break these producers into, we kind of broke them into quadrants where we could see who are the you know low cost pasture versus maybe the the high cost non-pasture feed expenses. And when you break when you when you take a look at that, you know a lot of the a majority of these are either you, you have a, a very small percentage that are high pasture high cost for pasture and high cost for non-pasture feed expenses those are probably not gonna be your sustainable operations in the long run. If they're operating at above cost for both pasture and non-pasture feed expenses. And you got the other quadrant where they're below average non-pasture feed expenses and below pasture costs. And an ideal word, would you be operating there? Probably, because you're, you're, you're below average for both of those. Although that probably raises some questions, how are you low, uh, below average on both of those? You know. Are you not charging the full pasture expense? Uh, you know, maybe you own your land. We've talked about this on, pa on, la on past podcasts as well about making sure you document, uh, record all your expenses, the actual expenses, uh, to cash and non-cash. And then you got your other two quadrants, you know, above, above average non-pasture feed costs and below pasture, below average pasture costs versus that other quadrant. Uh, which is where a majority of our operations are lying in one of those two quadrants. If you take a look at your top producers, the people who are the top profit operations, most of those, again, have lower, below average non-pasture fee costs, and they're paying a little more for their pasture costs. Unfortunately, the level or the detail of data doesn't allow us to dive into things like are they running cows on corn stalks? Are they cover crops? Are they, unfortunately, that's not there. Yeah, that, that would be interesting information to have, a little bit more information about how they're doing that. Well, three years ago, I started a separate survey asking cover crops, wheat, corn stalks, uh, cool versus warm, seam, warm uh, pasture grasses. So, in one more year, I think we'll have four years of this data as to know exactly what they're doing for their feed. I mean, we're, we're doing a really deep dive into the feed, but we're just not quite there yet. We still need at least one, maybe two more years of data before we can say too much about that. But that is pretty, I mean, that's it. For me, that's an exciting thing. I can't wait till next year till we can actually get some access to the, to the really fine level, level pasture costs or feed pasture costs. But I think different and, and really big part of the expenses so about 70 percent of the producers range between 450 and 650 total dollars per cow in feed expense and that's a that's a significant chunk and that's a pretty big range even for the bulk of the producers and as you described there's a a, a relationship between pasture and feeding costs whereas what most people do as pasture costs go up non-pasture feed costs go down and vice versa However, there are some folks that have higher than average feed costs, and there are some folks that have lower than average in both those. So it'll be interesting to see what you find out as you dive into that. Thanks for sharing, Dustin. As you mentioned, 
we're going to post that on our uh, show notes so that people can get access if they'd like to. There's some good charts in that article that you you guys wrote. I did want to switch gears and, and talk about, we had a really good listener question. And, and the question was, as we think about cattle and breeding, there has been some discussions relative to fetal programming. And fetal programming, and I've seen some presentations on this as well, and I'll kind of give a setup because maybe not everybody has seen it, but essentially fetal programming is when we talk about how what we feed the cow, how we manage the cow, what she goes through, impacts not only the birth weight of that calf, but may influence that calf throughout its lifetime or its performance. So tell us a little bit, uh, Philip and Bob, why don't you guys, what, what do you guys think about this? Well, there has been some interesting work looking at fetal programming. And the interesting thing, it, my understanding of kind of the impetus actually came from some human work where they showed that uh, some some populations, particularly in World War II, that were really um, uh, nutrient restricted, they were starving, um, that women that were pregnant during that time, that their offspring had health issues throughout their life in comparison to, you know, comparable pregnancies. And so then the question was, well, it isn't just, you know, birth weight in those first few weeks of life. And then once you got, you know, so the idea was if we took someone that had kind of a difficult gestation, so their mother was starving while they were uh, pregnant, uh, but then once they were born and you gave them a good diet and that should take care of everything. And these researchers kind of said, well, maybe not, maybe, maybe there's a lifelong impact of some, some deficiencies during pregnancy, which kind of makes sense when you think about all, you know, we're building the immune system, we're building the, the organs in the body and all those kinds of things. So it has some sense. There's a little bit of data. Of course, it's not an experiment that you could actually run where you assign one group of pregnant people to be starved or not. Um, and we really haven't done that per se in animals as far as uh, extreme restriction of calories, but we've, we've restricted their calories some and, and nutrients some and, and tried to look at some of this effect. So that's where the logic of it comes. And I think there's some logic behind it. So there are a couple of things in the listener question, I guess I will kind of want to address here first. Um, they mentioned late or last trimester, but um, fetal programming can happen during any trimester. It just affects different organs that are in, and tissues in the fetus that are developing during that trimester. And so we can impact, you know, gastrointestinal tract and liver and those things by doing restrictions during early tri trimester. And we can affect muscle ribeye area and marbling by doing things in the second and third trimester. And so it's, it's a, I say a, a gestation long thing that, that we can do. Um, and then the other aspect is that it's not just nutrition. There are other stressful events that can happen to the cow while she's pregnant that will impact the fetus um, more long-term. Um, we don't have as much information on those because nutrition has kind of been the focus of the research to this point, um, but there is a little bit of data showing there's other impact or other things that can impact that um, animal. So I'm going to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to agree with you, Philip, that there's, there's some information that says you know, if we really restrict these animals, so picture a cow that's losing weight, uh, maybe the last half of gestation, or, or maybe for a couple of months in the early part of gestation, and she's losing weight, and she actually kind of looks in bad shape. I think that those calves 
could conceivably be negatively affected. Where I struggle a little bit is if she's in pretty good shape and, and it's you know very minimal restrictions, maybe the impact isn't very negative. So it, it may so I struggle with knowing how big a deal to make out of this. I think if the cows are really, really restricted um, and, and due to either drought or mismanagement or whatever, um, that's bad. But then kind of declining benefit as you get past pretty good. Once you get to pretty good is way better, any better than pretty good. I'll throw that at you, Philip. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you're on the right track, Bob. I think there's there's a kind of a, I guess, a diminishing effect, I guess you want to say, as the cow moves. And so, you know, trying to sum up all the stuff that's been done, looking at, at things that have, or studies that have looked at feeding more than what we consider the requirements don't really seem to show much benefit of giving extra feed. And so, um, and we see negative effects from restricting nutrients. And so it, it's really about, in, in my opinion, just meeting those nutrient requirements throughout gestation. And then that fetus will develop um, to its optimum genetic potential. And so um, that comes from, and it, and it comes from, I think protein is a big component of that, making sure that that cow is not restricted in uh, the, the protein supplements and, and things like that. But then there, there might be a little bit of an energy component to it as well. And, and then there's some vitamins and minerals that play a role um, in the, the process of fetal programming from what we understand now. And so, so you, it just, you know, from a total nutrition perspective, focus on meeting that cow's requirements for energy, protein, vitamins, and minerals is, is the, the key take home. Which a lot of that, you, but you can't tell all of the requirements are met by body condition or can you? So what about the vitamin mineral component? Would she still be in good body condition if she's lacking something in that area? Possibly. I mean, it would, it would have to be fairly severe, I think, for her to, to start losing body condition where she could still be, she could be marginal um, and you wouldn't necessarily see a, a drastic decrease in performance of that, that cow. But if they're on a good quality mineral program and they're in good body condition score, they're probably okay. They're probably fine. But that's, that's a couple of, but you got to do the things that mm -hmm. we kind of know to do right. Yeah. Well, we've seen that. We've seen that in herds though before when things are, and Bob, you've talked about it as momentum. You've described that herd momentum. When things are going well, they tend to keep going well. When something's going poorly, it's easy for that to amplify, right? Yeah. And if that's bad nutrition, then it's amplified next year. And then my calves don't weigh as much at weaning. And so then I can't pay as much to get my nutrition and put it back out, there, right? It just that negative spiral. The, the other part that you brought up, and I appreciate, like to get Dustin's thoughts on, you, you talked about kind of the point of diminishing return. And that's something that we may have to identify. We just talked about feed costs, right? At some point, your costs get high enough that you, I've reached that point of diminishing return. Is that, do you see that in your data, Dustin, or do you have any way to look at that? Uh, no, not really. We, again, like I said, we, the data is not fine enough. At the, it's not granular enough. We know the total feed bill and they can back out what, how much feed it should have been fed, or they know how many, how much feed has been fed. And then they can put it a market value dollar price to it. So they don't, the data is not that detailed yet. But as I mentioned, 
in another year or two, we should have some really fine uh, uh, detail, fine level uh, data that will allow us to get at some of those kinds of things that you're talking about, Brad. I was just going to follow up. You mentioned a kind of a negative spiral. We do, we do know that, that, you know, thinking about replacement heifers, if, you're, if some of those heifers were restricted while they were in utero, it can have some long-term implications for them as cows. And so, so there is kind of a, a long-term negative spiral there um, that, can, that can have impact on your herd for many years. Yeah, there's a lot of those things that we're learning that, especially in the cow-calf herd, you, you have things that occur this year and you feel the impact for multiple years into the future. So I think that is a, a great topic there as we think about fetal programming. And you guys are saying, if I watch the body condition on the cows in many circumstances, you feel like I'm doing okay, but maybe not always. And the, and the adjunct to that is have some sort of vitamin mineral program that I'm feeding beyond just my hay. Is that, is that accurate? I think that's pretty safe. Yeah. And, and, and I, and I would emphasize, I think protein's a big component of it, mm -hmm. making sure that if you're on low quality forage, that make sure you are giving some protein supplement I to those cows. So we talked a lot about feed today and those feed costs, big differences between feed costs. One of the things I would encourage you to do is track your feed costs, but what I'm hearing here at the end of it. So we started out talking about the costs and then you guys are talking about the impacts or what that does to the cows. So not only do I need to look at this on a cost side, I need to evaluate, are my costs paying off? Am I getting the right nutrition for those cows? Am I getting the right benefit? And once I get beyond a certain point, Bob, you mentioned this, right? If their body score five or six, I don't need to take them to a seven. So yeah. I, I need to watch that I don't get too far beyond, and that's not going to help me in the, in the fetal programming either. So one of the things that I'd encourage, especially as we go through this time of year, many, many of you have started feeding supplemental feed or have started feeding hay or will be soon, in which case, track what we're feeding. Keep track of it this winter, and then you can look up and you can benchmark your herd versus the herds that Dustin's collected data on his database. And I'd encourage you to find out, am I one of the, am I closer to the high profit, the low profit, the medium profit herds? And what's the relationship between my pasture feeding costs and my non-pasture feeding costs? Do, where do I fit on that curve or which quadrant do I go in that, that Dustin described? And I think it's a great chance to benchmark yourself and Dustin, all that data is available online, so people should be able to keep their records and, and go look, right? Correct, yeah. You go to agmanager.info, and then you go to uh, Kansas Farm Manager Association. You should be able to find a lot of that data there. Perfect. And we'll put the links to that in our show notes. We certainly appreciate you joining us today. We did not get to, I said we want to get to some crossbreeding programs. We're going to do that next week because I want to be able to spend adequate time, especially in a, I'm going to throw out in a small herd situation, Crossbreeding is one of the most valuable tools we can bring to the table, but it can be kind of challenging to implement. So we're going to talk about what are some of the opportunities with that. Also, we've got a weekly newsletter that goes out and we're happy to have your questions or any topics that you'd like us to visit about. If you'd like us to talk about anything on a future show, you can send us an email at bci at ksu.edu. 